0: hello and welcome to under the skin from luminary media with me i'm called russell brand this week i spoke with shepherd fairy here's some promo get your bloody friends to listen to luminary will you for god's sake get some of them to sign up and what about me i've got a youtube channel go and listen to that and what about me? I'm on Instagram. Follow me there. You're going to change my name to Russell Brand on Instagram. It's a great idea. And um, follow me on YouTube as well. Get mentors if you want. Tell the truth. I'm not that worried. No, no. Do get it. Get it. Get it. And also Rebirth is on Netflix. Keep watching that because it would probably help me in some way. So uh, let's have a little think about a retrospective examination of Reza Aslan's episode. Here are some comments you sent in, Catherine. Kitty Katko. Great question. I've always felt that no way would Jesus be pro-capitalist. Yeah, how would I mean? It'd be mad, wasn't it? It didn't throw money lenders into the temple. That would make no sense. The reason I've thought about this is the folks that call themselves Christian Republicans talking about loving capitalism, which seems so contradictory. Great little talk. Thank you. Well, thank you. Michael Brock go, I like the analogy with the worlds. That's genius. People just pick whatever is personal to them. Yeah, we've got to just be, let's just let everyone be where they are as long as they're not hurting anyone else. and Nobody says, Do you think globalization will be so predominant there will be a kind of blurring of the many identities we currently have? Well, yeah, but what are the identities we currently have? What is it? Like, think about it. Whatever you are, if you're like, say, you're Polish or you're Vietnamese, what are you doing going around being Polish all day? Look at me, English. Oh, my God, I am literally wearing West Ham shorts, speaking in an English accent. But, you know, I think we'll always have tribal and localized identities. And globalization, let's face it, it's happening on a a corporate level. What I'd like to see happen is decentralization let's be honest let's do centralize things so people have got some actual power democratically in their own lives and uh i don't want people to turn into sort of listless gray drones just sort of ambling around without no culture or particularity become who you are become who you are see what's real to you sarah gentry goes are you here russell to wake us up Yes, sort of an alarm clock, but for the spirit. You are fascinating to me. Thank you. Do you ever just want to live in a box, a car? Not a box, because I imagined it being too small. I mean, we do live in a box. We live in a box of time and space. You know, God or some omnipotent force that creates all phenomena and non-phenomena and manifest and unmanifest things limitlessly throughout time and eternity. Won't live in a box. A car? Would you like to live in a car? No, I wouldn't like to live in a car. Leave everything, although I tried an RV and that was an absolute disaster. Leave everything you own and connect with yourself. See folks differently. You're tired of the same old stuff bombarding you. How do you feel? Sarah Gentry, thank you for these questions. I feel good. I feel good. Sometimes it's the ordinary things, you know, domestic, familiar life. Sometimes it's the extraordinary things, a spiritual connection. Although some people would argue a spiritual connection, achieved through meditation or whatever experiences you want. That's as normal to us as, you know, I don't know, eating an egg sandwich, if that's the sort of thing you do. Not me. I'm a vegan. I'm not tired of being here. Here. I feel invigorated and alive and in love with the world and its inhabitants and whatever it is that's behind their eyes. I love, love, love. I love, 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 Sarah Gentry. Okay, so uh, let's get on with Reza Aslan. It's right in my. Uh, no, no, we've done Reza Aslan. You enjoyed it, did you? Why don't you send it around? To, to cut little bits out of it. You can't cut little bits, but it's behind this little wall. Yeah? <laughs> is it behind a little wall? Little Reza Aslan, beyond the wall, Lissy. Well, you're going to love Shepherd Fairy. He's been mates of my ages. He's done book covers of mine. He'd done a business card of mine once. He's an absolutely brilliant man. He's so smart. He's just cool. Oh, I'll go on and on and on. If you don't know who he is, you should. He's, you know, did the Hope poster. Did obey. But he's a very influential and great street artist, gallery artist, entrepreneur. And I would say very sincere Democrat. So let's, uh, let's listen to Shepard Fairey on Under the Skin. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not well, a successful yeah, route. Yes,
1: that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology.
0: What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the skin. Thanks for coming on, Tripod Fairy, to Under the Skin. It's wonderful to have an actual friend who I have effortless, limitless, endless conversations with. So thanks for coming on. My pleasure. So these migraines I get, uh, like I was thinking about you, you've got like quite a lot of scars, haven't you? Like, you know, you're wearing this somewhat piratical T-shirt and you are a piratical sort of man. You've got like a scar, you've got like a scar on your arm, scar on your face, you're diabetic. You've got that finger that you've chopped off at some point, haven't you? Uh, i have a what few you you finger off issues something. yeah what is got, that jumping off of things
1: yeah i um, reaching in my bag and um, grabbing an exacto knife by accident and climbing razor wire fences things like that but you were a um, scoundrel of a man yeah. when you were a youth <laughs> i um, yeah also skateboarding i fell on my my chin on my Cro-Magnon brow i've done yeah as a Luckily, you know, that Cro-Magnon brow, it's really good. Like, blonde objects don't get my eyes as easily. I never it's thought you really was helpful. having a Cro-Magnon brow. I've always enjoyed <laughs> your I... brow. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Um, well, well, stick around. browse for a minute. Um, but
0: <laughs> It's good that you're um, like a, an art, like, I suppose one of the things I remember, we've talked about this before, like a, like the, uh, in a sense that street art, is a revivifying of a form that could potentially become uh, a little hermetic and a little sterile, you know. But like that comes with some challenges, doesn't it? You're sort of your origin as a sort of a razor wire jumping buckled fingered a buccaneer uh and your transformation to a man with a multitude of brands and uh, like the repositioning of your work into galleries in fact where you've just been in
1: paris and brooklyn what's been going on for you lately yeah i just did um a few shows i was in grenoble france um i was where i painted a mural and did an art show i was in paris where I painted a mural right next to uh, the Pompidou. So um, cool. they haven't invited me in yet, but, um, you know, I'm right outside the Pompidou, um, which I, I'd rather be there. I'd rather be outside, and we can get to that later. But uh, <laughs> And then also I have my work in a show called Beyond the Streets in Brooklyn, which is um, curated by one of the curators from Art in the Streets that you went to at LA MoCA. You know, my... Um, my attitude and my philosophy has always been and continues to be that I want art to be more democratic. So the street is a great place and it also has the, you know, uh just woven into it, the 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 McLuhan, the medium is the message principle. It's an act of defiance to not ask for permission and put work up on the street. And that that rebellious energy transfers to the viewer. Even if the content itself is is purely uh, decorative and not it's not making a provocative statement, um, I like to make statements with a lot of my work. And when I do it on the street, then that means it has you know two layers of uh, politicization. But um, but you know I also always was primarily concerned with reaching as many people with my art as possible and i find that um yes the gallery and museum world is far too elite and as you said hermetic because there are a lot of gatekeepers that benefit from keeping it that way but um but to me the opportunity to connect with people in a lot of zones is more important than worrying about um the rule keepers from a a, you know an outlaw, supposedly ruleless culture like street art, that now say that's not the right way to do street art. You're breaking the rules. Um, so you know, I'm I'm fine to I'm fine to break those rules and do my clothing brand, do my activism, do my do my public art, do my street art, do my gallery art, make make inexpensive prints and make expensive paintings. There's always someone that says. Your inexpensive prints are really diminishing the value of your paintings. And there are other people that say, why are you making expensive paintings that are purely trophies for the elite? You know, you're always going to have somebody that's unhappy with your approach. And uh, and I, I just say, you know, the philosophy underpinning all of it is fairly consistent if you, if you look at my program. And uh, yeah, you know, I think about all of it before I do it. Hmm. It's interesting isn't it because we were talking before mate about like
0: that Picasso didn't have those problems you know in a sense like he like existed in like we at least as a person who don't know very much about Picasso seems like we know how to position him like because it was a time where there weren't necessarily the like obviously posthumously picasso's branding's all over the place carrier bags badges fridge magnets everywhere you know but like uh you know it's not something that he would have been necessarily had to have dealt with in his lifetime and it, I, I understand that because i sense that it's something that you feel a bit attacked by but it feels like you know that that, meant that that mentality or the judgment and the charge of hypocrisy that accompanies success pretty consistently um but it seems like the alternative is die before you're recognized that's the only sort of pure alternative or some sort of real ascetic i just do this stuff for free and i never you know my
1: family we just eat stuff we find <laughs> <laughs> and people, um, people love that idea because they want to be, um, they want to feel like there's some purity in the world, and I respect that. And they know they're not capable of it. They need, they need a, a savior to absolve them of their own sins. And you know that frequently happens through religion, but it happens in, in a lot of a lot of other zones of culture where people. Um, turn a human being into some sort of uh, you know hero that's that's superhuman and they are infallible in some way I've acknowledged the contradictions of for example critiquing capitalism in some of my work while I sell things and um, and I acknowledge that I'm I'm participating in a, in a system that I have some, ethical conflicts with and and yet uh it's the language that virtually everyone speaks and um i want to connect with people speaking their language but then asking them some questions about how they navigate that system that we're all tangled up in
0: yeah i obviously deal with similar ideas it's in a way, I suppose you've just responded to the opportunities that have come your way. In the way that I suppose various, like you know, musicians have. Have there been times where you've gone, "Oh no, you can't use this image"? Like you know, like say, like the most obvious example is the uh, graphic template established for the Obama hope poster which i know and i'm sure most people who are into you know is a very organic expression of your feelings of optimism around that time but subsequently you know i've been i've seen i've seen like the british prime minister david cameron rendered in that way i know with your consent iron man rendered that way like uh is it like have you do you have much control over that what happens with that
1: no i don't have any control over that and uh you know it's good that you can't copyright a style you can you can copyright an image but you uh, you know a, a style is something that is uh you know it's it's free for anyone to riff off of and in fact um i'm I encourage um people to to experiment as they you know as they make art and design with whatever whatever existing style they want to because this is part of how people communicate, and I, I think that the there's a real danger of corporations trying to push the boundaries um, further and further out more latitude for for copyright infringement lawsuits where it actually takes tools away from people to communicate using a visual language that has a certain um, a, cer- a certain meaning or um, or at least implication that allows them to um, Subvert an idea or amplify an idea. What would be Really an important. Um, I agree. What would be it like using sort? Of, do you mean like sort of corporate logos or
0: corporate typeface well, or font?
1: Yeah, I mean, imagine. Um, yeah, if you use uh, if you use anything that's um, a recognizable style or template from, you know, the the Obama posters, a perfectly good idea that I I respect someone's right to put. That image with um, Hillary Clinton and it says "nope" underneath instead of "hope." Um, I don't agree with the sentiment. I was a Bernie supporter, but I uh, would have much rather seen Hillary Clinton elected than than Donald Trump. But I still support that person's right to do that, whether I agree with them or not. Um, and if it's someone that is changed the Shell logo to to hell. Um, you know, if it's a fairly clever subversion, even if it's somewhat obvious, um, I don't think that Shell has the right to suppress a political expression that is clearly, de- you know, designed to get someone to focus on them just because they don't like the scrutiny.
0: Yeah, because I suppose they said that's their IP. That's like that. Like, you can't mess with that. We uh, own it. But they're,
1: you know, they're, they're different. Um, tenets of fair use and are you and you're very familiar with this because you've had to go to court cases and stuff haven't you yeah I uh, dealt with a a lawsuit about the Obama poster but you know there's um, copyright there's exception to copyright when there's transformation and the transformation is visual transformation conceptual transformation and uh, the the usage Um, so Hmm. if the usage is political and it's um, and it's not driven purely by profit. Um, that makes a big difference. If it's transformative visually, that makes a big difference. And if it's um, if it's if it's a parody, especially a political parody, that creates exception to copyright. So um, you know, after after the oil spill in the um, in in the Gulf, changing shell to hell um, it, it is you know, something that I think would be a uh, an exception to copyright on many levels for someone to make that statement. And um that should be that that should definitely be allowed. I see I see visual art as a way to express yourself um and, and, and you know, shape conversations in the world that is equally important um to the way in which you know you use your your amazing linguistic proficiency and uh you know both in writing and verbally yes right yeah it's just a different kind of language
0: mate you mentioned during that uh like art and design what where is that distinction between art and design well
1: um it's intent it's not aesthetic anymore because someone like Robert Indiana who did most people would know the, the famous love with the tilted letters that are stacked L O and on one line and V E on the yeah. next. Um, oh, yeah. that's his most well-known thing, but he, his art is very design driven. Um, there are a lot of artists, Barbara Kruger, her art is very design driven, but it's design. Um, I would, uh, in generally just define as, um, trying to make something look good Now when it becomes art, is it making something look good for uh, for a purpose other than just selling something? Most people associate design with something purely commercial but um, but when it's fulfilling a vision, and of course artists sell paintings, but it's different than it's it's different than um, creating imagery or design for someone else's thing that you have. Um, no emotional connection to that's not, uh, you know, it's not your pure vision. Um, I use art and design in my artwork or I I should say I use illustration and design in my artwork. I draw, I I, I do things with stencils, with screen printing. I um, use my own photography frequently and I do design where I scan my illustrations and then Compose things in the computer, do my own typography design, make make patterns, but then those are all um, ending up fulfilling my my vision for what I want to say to the world, and whether that's an image about police brutality, racism, sexism, xenophobia, the need for peace and harmony over hate and war. You know, these are things that I'm doing to make sure that my my image conveys what I want it to convey.
0: Yes. I um, There's a few... There's so much, mate. One thing is like, you know, like that I was touched on in the beginning, is like it seems like it's interesting that you're a person that bears these scars, that your origins in art are quite visceral, corporeal, very bodily. Like that's, so I suppose, when I went to the exhibition that you talked about, like I saw... The value of street art in a different way because, like as you have described, it's a, a challenge to the unconscious, unspoken contract that sp- our space is owned. Our space is owned. Uh, I thought it was powerful. And also it's interesting that it involves, in your case, like, injury You know like it's it's injurious to sort of climb up things and dangerous to you know like it i like that that's a sort of a challenge to i suppose of kind of an old-fashioned idea of artists as kind of fragile and and gentle perhaps ethereal rather than bodily and Mm -hmm. present because in a way much what is is it fair to say that art is, in, this, is it, is in a sense, dealing with the abstract because it's a representation of something that wouldn't be present were it not for the conduit of the artist unless it's very representational art of like here is an apple?
1: Well, I mean, the, I think the, the fascinating thing about art is that um, it is open to interpretation and even an artist making their best attempt to replicate what's happening, um, in, in the world, you know, realistically, um, there's always some translation that has the, the essence of the artist, uh, imbued in the final product. And, uh, for example, the Ramones were huge fans of Phil Spector, sixties pop, and, they liked the chants of the Bay City Rollers, yet filtered through their sensibility, you get Blitzkrieg Bop, which is quite chantable, hey-ho, let's go, but doesn't sound like any of those influences. So the act of creating, just because you are you and not someone else, it's always going to have some sort of distinct mutation in it, which is such a beautiful thing. It allows people to Put something out into the world that's that's uniquely theirs, and it's sad that a lot of people think that they need to copy what is what seems most commercially viable, um, because they're they're then stifling where that mutation can really bring about something incredible. But it's it's always going to have something of them in it, and I I think that, um, you know, I'm a big I'm a big fan of studying art and design history and knowing what's going on but then um, being purely analytical about how to create something new and not be derivative that's that's basically um, an an exercise that's going to paralyze most people because we're all inspired and to let it just what you're inspired by consciously or subconsciously flow through you and then manifest in something that you create by just doing it. It's almost like, um, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> the um, Ralph Macchio not realizing that the brush strokes were going to make him better at karate from uh, Mr. Miyagi, the, um, yeah, for all of you that are old enough to know Karate Kid, uh, the, you know, this this thing that happens when you just do it all the time, you get better. and you know there've been a lot of things that i you know found that with whether it was um playing playing pool or djing but you know art is something i i so much enjoy the visual problem solving that it doesn't feel like i'm kind of doing my my calisthenics it just is an enjoyable process for me but you just can't help but get better when you do something all the time so that's what i say to people that say oh i have i have creative block right now like don't think too hard, just trust your gut, make it, and then be a good editor at the end of the process. If you haven't achieved what you were hoping to achieve, learn from what went well in that process and what didn't go well in that process, and, and look at it as nothing is a waste of time, there was a valuable lesson in even the failures. Do you do any teaching? Um, I used to be the teacher's assistant when I was at the Rhode Island School of Design for screen printing. <laughs> And uh, I enjoyed that, especially I enjoyed that a lot of cute girls would say you're a better teacher than the teacher um, because I thought maybe I could read something else into that as well, which was really flattering. But um, but I think it really was just that I was a better teacher than the
0: teacher. <laughs> that's all it was, was a, a useless, sincere compliment <laughs> yeah, exactly. that could never be transferred into <laughs> actual adulation. Um, mm. That's good because that idea that... The value of authenticity is that you gain access to your own particular mutations, your own particular essence, in spite of whatever influences in like you may have been in place in getting you to the point where you at least know the vocabulary and the grammar of what it is you're attempting to do. I think that's a vital one. And I like what you said there about not sort of dwelling on the problem of creative block, but being willing just to uh, kind of trust a certain flow. That seems like that's a very productive technique or at least attitude.
1: Well, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of interviews of yours and I've read a lot, but when when I read, um, you know, a, a couple of your books and found out that you had more or less dictated those all in um, short order. I mean, you know, not every not everyone's capable of that sort of thing. Um, but I, I think that you have the capacity to do that. you you must appreciate the the idea that um, you don't overthink it, you start doing it and then you refine as you go. You just don't have to go through as many rounds of revision as most people.
0: Yeah, if you prepare, if you've prepared yourself, if you've done the necessary rituals and the necessary study and the necessary practice, then it it feels to me more through performance than writing. Although I say it's present in both communicative forms, a sense that there is... a, a. you, there is a pre-existing flow that you align yourself with. And if you get out of that the way, that flow can come through you. And even in things that I'm not good at and I'm learning, like notably the martial art Brazilian jiu-jitsu, sometimes I feel when I see people that are good at it, it's as if jiu-jitsu exists as a platonic ideal. And people <laughs> that are willing to do the disciplinary work are able to plug in to this a concrete yet uh, external thing, or transcendent maybe thing called jujitsu, and, and there it is—you can light up the grid on it. Whereas I'm like sort of fumbling for threads, from fumbling to put to clumsily put together little individual sort of bolts of syntax as I sort of fumble through it. And um, I suppose you now—you've had—you've been practicing. For so long you 've been present with it so long, do you still harbor the like you need know, left when I look at the sort of conventional narrative of like artists or painters say and I think they think of masterpieces. Do you feel like, you know, because I know that, you know, that you did a, like your recent exhibition is like a sort of a 30 year retrospective. And I feel like you said to me, oh, you know, you don't want it to feel like it's, well, that's me done. You know, like, you know, you like, how do you approach with all the many, um, obligations, responsibilities, duties that you have in the world of design in the the, the various um, limbs of your business? The, I, do you still have the aspiration of like pure creativity because even like your activism and your uh, willingness to lend your voice to causes in a sense is a is a uh, a a bias that you know i know there's a obviously a rich history of art and activism coalescing and guernica or whatever like but like you know like do what is your relationship with the idea of pure creativity currently
1: i um i think i'm i'm realistic about um, the practical framework that goes into giving me the ability to be purely creative with at least a fairly significant chunk of my time, um, but it's uh, it can be very frustrating because in, in a way, Success means that there are more pressures, more obligations, and that I mean, that can kill people's creativity. I don't have the internet on my phone, I try to create some periods of time where I won't be interrupted so that I can really focus on problem solving. But the way that I deal with being purely creative is by just working longer hours and I enjoy my work, so I will find time during my day or during my evening to make sure I'm able to do the purely creative thing I want to do. And um, the the notion that artists are, are people who don't conform to societal structures and um, in the middle of the night, have an epiphany and jump up and light a candle and put on a beret and start paint, <laughs> painting at the easel in the corner. And um, and then you get, you know, two days later, you've got Guernica or whatever. Um, that's just total bullshit. Um, there, there are people who are sort of dysfunctional geniuses, um, but they're usually tragic. Mm. And... Um, they are lucky to be surrounded by people who believe in the merit of what they do enough to help bring it to an audience and to help keep those people alive <laughs> yeah. with money or keeping them, you know, uh, away from all the vices that they want to kill themselves with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I have a, um, it, it might not sound, um, you know, like one's romantic vision of of art. But I just think it's about persistently, consistently working to achieve what I want to achieve both in terms of the art pieces I make and how I want them to move out into the world. Um, and sometimes it's very frustrating because something will happen like Donald Trump being elected, where I feel like I I had plans. Now I have to react to this in the moment because this this calls for action in this moment. And so I'm going to do it. I'm going to stay up later. And I made the, the We the People images that a lot of people know, along with several other artists who made images for that series in a short amount of time um, to make sure that they were out in the world before um well well to be used in the women's march the day after trump was elected and um those those things sometimes you know require you being um being able to summon your your best version of pure creativity on short notice and so i you know i have i've I, I have a lot of experience, sort of exercising, um, you know, working under uh, deadlines and short notice to be able to rise to those occasions. But it's uh, it's not always easy. So um, yeah, there's a there's a a different um, there's a different thing between I'm working through something that there's no I'm not sure how I'm going to use it. I'm not sure how it's going to look eventually. And that's very, very pleasurable because it's a process of discovery versus knowing what I need to try to say and having the clock ticking as I try to articulate that effectively. Now they can both be they can both be really rewarding, but as far as what you're talking about with pure creativity, um, I don't know that one is more pure over the other, but I do know that I enjoy when I'm experimenting, not quite knowing where it's going to lead. Because when I make discoveries, those are things that I get to keep in the quiver for the rest of my life. And, you know, I have 30 years of kind of tools in the quiver that I've learned, you know, starting from drawing when I was a little kid, then painting, then learning some design, photography, screen printing, lithography, the then you learning to use the computer. And then, you know, and all of those... All learning how to paint murals, spray paint. Um, and actually one of the things that wasn't in the mix that I never thought would be so valuable is learning how to actually not just let my work do the talking, but do what I'm doing right now with you is being able to explain what I'm doing. That actually is part, that's like another part of my, you know, toolkit as an artist is that I'm here talking to you about this stuff and that somebody that's never looked at one of my pictures might actually look at it or someone that has looked at my pictures might see something deeper in the work um, or they might realize I'm a fraud.
0: (laughs) What are we going to do about this? Like the advent of Trump and its uh, apparent uh, contingency or at least synchronicity with, let's say, the emergence of other, you know, seemingly nationalistic, if that's the right way to describe it, movements, like, uh, has kind of, uh, I feel, drawn a line uh, in a way under the problems that were unaddressed in the preceding narrative of progressivism, the understandable joyful optimism of like you know i was in this country when obama got elected and it's difficult not to feel optimistic when a charming and attractive uh, brilliant orator who's not from the dominant race and in fact from you know you obviously don't need to to unpack the history of uh, uh, american racism but like you know it seems so sort of incredible and beautiful but um whilst It's evident and obvious and similarly doesn't need to be explained that there are vivid and deeply unpleasant anomalies within Trump's presidency that sort of stand out as particularly unpleasant i feel that much of the condemnation of trump the man is merely due to the sort of you know and i'm not, you know i don't need to and i'm certainly not like uh trying uh, to be dismissive of some, like some of the grotesque language or you know sexist misogynistic language and the kids in cages and the things that we all sort of know about um what i am curious about is how do we not address this problem by settling for a reversion to what immediately preceded it when what immediately preceded it has to be to a degree responsible for the causation even if just chronologically how do people with your kind of like i would say quite devout liberal uh you know and i don't mean liberal in a negative way because i do i think you believe in freedom you know um like how how do we reach out to the people evidently excluded by the pro proceeding political narrative how you know you said before when we were talking about your trip to france and meeting macron you're more interested in building bridges than walls how like where do you feel these bridges need to be built and is that something you're interested in
1: of course um you know there there are so many different issues and I think the things that, that create a lot of emotion are always gonna be talked about. Kids in cages creates emotion. Um the um uh, comments about pussy grabbing create emotion. Um the the insidious and fundamental corruption of the political system by corporate money is not something that that gets an emotional reaction from most difficult, people. Isn't it? And so, when you look at um, the ways in which democracy has been corrupted, and um, was it was it a, a Yale study? It was one of the Ivy League schools did a study that um, basically the whether a policy was popular or unpopular with the average person had a negligible to non-existent impact on whether it was implemented or rejected as law, Mm. but whether it was favored or opposed by powerful donors, special interest corporations, was the determining factor. This should be terrifying to anyone that believes in democracy and thinks that voting is an important way to participate in democracy. so i've done work around the need for campaign finance reform and and you know more transparency um you know that that if you look at the lack of movement on environmental regulation um you know look at look at who's donating to campaigns but, you know big oil coal um et cetera. the but it's uh you know bring, I try to bring people into that conversation sometimes by presenting something visually that I know, um, appeals to them. So I, I think, you know, even though when I was younger and I considered myself, um, very anti-status quo and punk rock, um, that, you know, the, like, oh, I'd never make an image of a flower, of a wave, a sunset, that stuff is trite, you know, um, (laughs) Like, I don't like the early Beatles. Only when they started doing drugs. Um, I actually now see that the reason there are certain things that people have have painted or photographed um, for, you know, uh, uh, since the invention of the photograph or the invention of painting is because they seem to, you know, really be universally resonant and... How can I take those things and say, if you value this beautiful thing, um, whether it's a relationship with another human being, a flower, um, that it, if if it's threatened, does that bother you? And you know, there's a difference between creating an emotional connection to something and then just stoking fear. I try not to ever just stoke fear with my work. Mm-hmm. Um
0: you yeah. know,
1: immigrants are gonna take your job is different than um the ocean that is sustains a lot of life and is beautiful to look at is um, is not going to be the same if we don't think about the future. I think that's a di- that's a, a different approach, but appealing to also, what I think... like it's not true. The first one's not true and the second one is true.
0: Like the, the well, narrative of an immigrant... I, 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 unless you're a very low-paid, you know, sort of agrarian worker, an immigrant isn't going to...
1: And 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 of course, um, there have been very empirical that studies <laughs> that show that that immigrants doing these lower paid jobs actually benefit the overall economy because they still pay sales tax and they do jobs that keep things that the average person needs on a daily basis cheaper at the you know at, at the. Point of purchase these truths though exist within a certain system and i think it's the system itself
0: that's sort of problematic you know like that uh, of course the reason that, that the sort of anti-immigrant rhetoric is powerful is because it feels true because uh, like somewhere atavistically the idea of some foreign or differently colored person might come over here and give us a disease you know that's, that's a deep deep resonance to that like in the way that a flower is universally beautiful or a wave is universally beautiful that kind of fear has a similar universal application
1: And the thing that I've found hard to reconcile is, um, is that I, you know, I understand this, that psychology because anything to say to the average voter, look, look over there at someone that you can despise that you already feel you're superior to, you consider them inferior Mm. to you. Um, that's that's a very that's a gratifying thing. That's like the two minutes hate in nineteen eighty four. Um, you, you um, I mean, Fox News is just the two minutes hate going on twenty four hours a day. The the difficult thing is convincing people who have a lifestyle that they are jealous of, that they aspire to achieve to convince them that those people, very powerful people who drive the car they wish they were going to drive, they could drive, have the multiple trophy wives they wish they had, that those people actually are controlling a system that is in no way close to to, um, equal in terms of you can enter the system just based on merit there are many more criteria than that and um and and letting people understand getting people to understand how the system is rigged against them in many ways um and you know it's it's difficult it's difficult because it makes people feel bad about themselves you don't want to you don't want to admit that someone above you is holding you down. You want to feel like you're you're next to be in that position. The idea that you're never going to be in that position is is very demoralizing for people. So, and then the idea that it's not just your birthright because you're an American to ascend to that position, that you actually have to study the problems going on in um and and the dynamics of the system and participate in a meaningful way to change the system, that's actually a lot of work. Noam Chomsky said it really well. He said, um, Americans are not too stupid to figure out how to navigate complex things. Sports are complex, yet Americans know about every player's stats in basketball, baseball, football. They know, you know, what the weather is going to be like on game day. If they applied one-tenth of that energy to figuring out what's happening in uh, legislation, the various, you know, they just showed a little bit of, of civic responsibility, everything would look totally different. See, I hate saying that because I don't want to sound like, um, you know, a professor scolding people. So that's why I try to use what art is capable of appealing to people emotionally to actually get them to feel like it was their idea, not my idea. <laughs> this is a good technique, but I think they have already emotionally worked that out. Whether or not
0: they've intellectually worked that out, you know, the, the information that you with, uh, that you began uh, your uh, like you know the, that answer with, like the the an Ivy League study reveals that the dominant influential factor is is a corporate lobbying not democratic process in fact it's negligible and irrelevant. People feel that and I think felt that and it was true under obama it's true under trump it will be true under whoever is next. And I feel that until the conversation cops to that in a very explicit way of like, we understand why you voted for Trump because you were let down by what preceded it you were right to feel let down, you're right to feel angry, I'm angry as well, things aren't fair, it's ridiculous how you've been treated, we are going to create real meaningful change for you. Uh, Until that becomes part of the discourse, as long as there's this sort of peculiar attempt to continue to veil the complicity of both i mean even saying the word both <laughs> political parties there are two of them like you know like it's a, how can how can you will well,
1: change I, be generated i do think that there are a few candidates that are talking about the needs for fundamental change in how things are structured and um i was a bernie supporter in 2016 i think bernie is is too old and he you know he just he sounds kind of um kind of uh, a- angry and, um, you know, I just don't think he has the human appeal that's necessary, but I, I agree with a-, a lot of his ideas that we need a higher mix of socialism because uh, in societies where there is a higher mix of socialism, people feel less, um, like there's less in- inequality and they feel um, less angry about um the potential that they're looked at as second-class citizens. When you look at all the measures of happiness and quality of life in places like Denmark, where there's a lot of socialism and there's a fairly high tax rate, the the disparity between rich and poor is it's much narrower. And um, Bernie's talked about that. Elizabeth Warren has said, I'm not anti-capitalism. I'm anti-capitalism only working for rich people and corporations. Right now we have socialism but it's only for rich people and corporations and that's very true um you know the 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 system is um you know it's it's designed to favor those people and I, and i do think there are a few candidates that are willing to talk about that and and try to do something about it but the the conservatives are going to it's the residue of of the cold war that's still um, alive except for when trump um kisses ass to putin you know it's orwellian double think right there you know to socialism is bad but sucking up to putin is just fine i it's 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 hard to it's hard it, you know it's, it's it's hard to really see how people go that way but um i do think there's a fear of the word socialism and if any democrat can be branded as socialist that's going to that's going to handicap them however i think because i look at the vast amount of socialism that already exists that your garbage is taken out your your plumbing works there's a park in your neighborhood public school is free socialism is everywhere and um and and yet the 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 socialism that is sort of behind the curtain that is benefiting corporations that don't need subsidizing um that's not talked about enough zero socialism means in a sense zero society
0: like you know like what is if there is no social cohesion if there is no contract between people and their government then, then it is literally just the flag and an old, old story. If there is no, we're going to provide some schools and some parks, and so. now we're just on a scale. And I think that the rejection of socialism is because, like it was, as you say, part of the legacy of the Cold War was branded as meaning a sort of anti-freedom, anti-individualism, and you're going to have to pay higher taxes. I think those are the sort of things yeah. that people viscerally respond to. But that, that's why I look for aspects of socialism that are... Uh, I would say sort of emotional and spiritual. And even though sort of at a point of origin, Marxism is of course atheistic. I feel that when like we talk of to create an entire bicycle, not just a cog in the machine, which is what you are, but don't just be your work. Don't just be a facet of an industrial model. Mm -hmm. You know, in a way, I can understand people's suspicion of socialism or any outmoded idea or any sort of you know last century idea. Given the the sort of unique problems that we're likely to tackle over the next 20, 30, 40 years, the impact that's going to have on a work for, on the workforce and the impact we're already seeing is that the, that there is not a role for everyone in the workforce and the people that are not necessary as labour are maligned, criminalised, rejected, destroyed, imprisoned. You know, like we've, like that's been ha- happening for a little while. But as you know, where my interest lies, mate, is in the reintroduction of the... Hmm, what do I want to say? You know, like, being English, it's somewhat easier <laughs> because we're so bloody charming. No I mean I mean to say like uh, that socialism in uh the England had m- methodism built into it. It has like a clear connection to it, specifically Christian principles, i.e. fraternity and right. oneness and caring and kindness and with a country like this one where sort of you know, secular though it may claim to be, where sort of the sort of like Christian language and Christian ideology, particularly on the right, is sort of used to enforce polarisation. I mean in the obvious sort of sexual and reproductive issues that are the sort of the, the sort of dominant emblems of Christianity in this culture. Like um I, I, I feel that like I don't know why I feel like the answer is to, like to be clear and candid about the role of community, the role of shared spaces in a kind of way that... Re-engages with the spiritual, so it's not a sterile, p- concrete public square as much as you love the graphic design of uh, the communist era. Like, but it's an idea, like a sort of an, a pastoral idea of socialism, uh, like a, an American idea of community, of kindness, of togetherness. I, I, of course, I, myself, I question whether that can ever occur at well, a national level I, again.
1: I, I couldn't agree more, and that's. Um... You one of the reasons I brought up Denmark, you know, even though I did get attacked by some kids there, I thought that... um, (laughs) You were attacked by uh, kids in Denmark? uh, Yeah, it's a long story, but um, I think they were the exception. I think that... um,
0: (laughs) What what, what was their um, angle?
1: um, They, that I was um, a a Yankee propagandist um, collaborating with the government to assuage unrest around the demolition of a punk house which was something just made up by a blogger
0: and um <laughs> but the last thing you do you love a punk house exactly in Copenhagen? and I, I
1: i had um literally you'd have gone around and done, decorated it for done them. a piece on that same punk house that had been torn down years before and then did a mural um on the wall of the building behind where it used to exist you and you couldn't have been more generous
0: right? in your patronage <laughs> of that punk house
1: but um but anyway the um the reason i bring it up is because this this feeling of um not absolute equality um but that the social fabric is um you know has a has a degree of a a Maybe maybe a, a belief in everyone's um, equality and dignity that um, is it's really fundamental. The, the you know the thing about the United States is, of course, we all we all love the idea of freedom and individuality. But I, when I'm being honest with myself, the way I manifest my my, my image of freedom and and individuality for myself is to say, please love me, everyone. Isn't it so cool how I'm doing it? Because I genuinely care about other people and how I interact with them. Uh, The social fabric really matters to me. And it took me a little while to mature and understand that, um, you know, I felt like, okay, there's the social fabric has a lot of mindless conformity and I'm against that. But I wasn't against people, I deeply care about people. And um and so reminding people that how we have the freedom to be who we want to be is actually almost always intertwined with how that freedom then allows us to present ourselves to other people and and to interact with other people and to say I want this freedom but I Um, will oppress someone else's freedom because I think it gets in the way of mine is just inherently hypocritical.
0: Yes, it is, isn't it? And like one way I feel like, I think in a way we don't have the option of excluding spirituality from the manner in which we organize our systems which is just another way of saying politics of course because we're all like, it is already spiritual it's just whether it's going to be clear direct and bona fide spirituality or the oxymoronic hypocritical some broken spirituality because like the idea that you know that that freedom must be afforded to all or it isn't freedom at all is a kind of I've just made that up. I think if that's not copyrighted, we should copyright it. <laughs> stick it on a T-shirt for fuck's sake, because I, I don't. I just don't have the infrastructure. That like you know, for me, that's a very, you know, when I talk about uh, like spirituality, I, I feel like we need new ways to vivify the political process. We need new ways to include people that are feeling maligned. I think we need new ways of getting past this impasse of uh, of polarization that i see in in your country and in mine and i feel that that i feel like that there's two things i feel that the the, the, the that we can that the bridge may include the reincorporation of some spiritual ideals and uh, the other thing i feel that decentralization on a massive scale and challenging what it means to be part of a nation and if uh, if a nation can ever again benefit its inhabitants or if it's so baked into the process now that, it, it, that its true beneficiaries are powerful transnational corporations, that it can never again be something that is democratically accessible to its population. Well, the powers, po-
1: power don't. loves to protect itself. I yeah. mean, it's hard to, when corporations a- accumulate so much power and that's um, that goes un- unchecked and and then people also become, they become used to it it's really hard to move back from that but you know there were times in the early 20th century when um corporations were broken up and there were you know there were efforts to reinvigorate competition and i'm not at all a believer in the market solves all problems the you know the, i i do understand the principle of Competition and the, the idea that it, it drives people who make something to create yes. the version with the most merit to um, to to persuade an audience to support them, and I, I think that that can have its benefits. But the um, the consolidation of of power is is a really big problem because that actually diminishes that desire to improve the product, um, and it and it just. Um, pushes people to use their leverage, you yes. know, when it, when it's all just about about profit and and not merit, and that's that's really and I mean, there's so many problems I have with capitalism, especially when we're on a, a planet of a finite size with growing with a growing population and diminishing resources. Um, that is not sustainable. Um, but the you know the idea of getting back to a more um, know-your-neighbor decentralized take on things. It is something that I believe in philosophically because I think when people are accountable to their community, they behave very differently than when they think, oh, if I if I buy this or support that, it's it's sort of, the impact is nebulous. When they can see the impact in a meaningful way that actually tugs at their conscience, that really matters. And then if that can sort of be um, you know, telegraphed out into uh, their practices that even without being able to see directly the end result, but sort of being able to uh, imagine it and then empathize. <laughs> You know this, these are really important ideas i don't think people have lost their capacity for empathy. How can they have I think done? they just compartmentalize things
0: I think you're right I think and I think we are directed to. I think that when our biochemical drives are directed by cultural systems that continually bias us towards prejudice us towards individualism, materialism, then what choice do we have? I was thinking how just then how personal this is to me that, that my own narrative has been like you know growing up feeling unappreciated and powerless wanting to become famous and successful and have access to the glorious spoils of commerce and capitalism, to be attractive, to be wanted, to be powerful, to be glorious experiencing oh shit it's meaningless it doesn't work it doesn't address the thing that i was trying to address in the first place sense of worthlessness alienation loneliness all of that that those things have been untouched and then being taught that the only way i'm ever going to address those things is by prioritizing it first acknowledging it's a problem then being willing to be eventually finding myself in a position where I'm willing to prioritise the service of others over my own material and emotional and spiritual needs. And that still, there's a tension in that for me. I still sometimes have to make myself... Go and like right. Oh God, I'm feeling unhappy. Are you that what's that thing I'm supposed to do? Oh yeah, be kind to other people and be of service to them. Still, like it's still you know. While and then I do it, and it actually works. I go and do some like you know. I know you do mm-hmm. a lot of uh, philanthropic work. You know, uh, sometimes I find it more effective actually the less grandiose or visible it is. You know, sometimes when it is small, the but oddly meaningful transactions, like small demonstrations of my acceptance that I'm just a Small participant in this limitless game, like that, somehow it's so rewarding to me, so rewarding because it enforces, I suppose, the idea that actually a human individual is more It's a human being is an event rather than an object a human right. being is, we have so many things in common with one another we rise up out of the abyss out of the nothingness temporarily we seem to be an individual thing then we collapse back into the dust but there are universal and eternal principles that somehow when we that, that chime with us when we live in accordance with them honour integrity kindness authenticity we know that when we hit that frequency we resonate more strongly I feel its power when I'm like willing to do something for someone else. Even more so when I'm willing to do something for someone else and not get found out in in having done it, you know. And like for me, that that that, that these ideas w- cannot be expressed safe, not safely, cannot be expressed in these systems. Like you said, power has to protect itself, and I feel that the the power in the the, the sort of great democracies that were that we've been discussing is so entrenched that it knows firstly to make itself invisible it knows how to maintain the minor fluctuations that may be that viscerally impactful and, and real to people that are watching the spectacle from the outside it knows how like who you know have any powerful interest been meaningfully impacted by the transition of the of recent administrations I would be very surprised if they had been you know like if any real global players are like oh shit, well that's messed with our business model I don't know
1: well I- I, um, I think that a, a lot of people don't realize that there are corporate entities that are most likely pow- more powerful than than nations, including yeah. the United States. Yeah. Um, and um, it doesn't mean that if the government... Um, the government doesn't have the apparatus to go up against them, but at what cost for the politicians involved. So I think most of the time the corporations can hedge their bets that they're going to get their way. And, um, and also there's a shared objective. There is no
0: conflict of interest because as we've already discussed, the government has happily divorced itself from the will of the people in favor of r- the service. Right. So it, there's no conflict there anyway. It, it's, it, exactly.
1: Um, the... Yeah, it's a very powerful river. You can you can paddle upstream. I mean, that's just this is basic common sense. And so that's why you you try to develop a lot of streams rather than just one river that you can never never com, you know, come up against and 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 prevail. So, but we're t- it's too late for that. But um it doesn't you know, I I think that real change is is incremental through awareness and sometimes it seems to be happening not at all, or or very very slowly. But, um, but it's amazing how something can achieve critical mass, like, like marriage equality. You know, only ten years ago that seemed fairly far off. Mm. Even though, I think most of us knew that Obama would, um, if asked in private, would be, believed in marriage equality and believed in the, you know gay rights. Um, that this was, he was very taking a very, uh, you know, calculated approach to how he communicated on that because it was a wedge issue. And, um, and then somehow it moved very quickly. And, you know, from, from, uh, you know, Ellen to, you know, a few different TV shows and movies and, and famous people, um, who were willing to be a bit courageous about, um, you know, about who they are and their belief in equality. It, it, it seemed like it reached a tipping point a lot faster than I thought it would. And mm. um, I was pleasantly surprised. So, you know- So you think that's encouraging? Cause like my, like I don't know, it is encouraging
0: because like this, you know, there's no dispute there, but this is what I've, I heard from this gay rights activist, Peter Tatchell, who's Australian, does a lot of his activism in the UK. He said his experience was that in the, in the end, on civil rights, as long as it doesn't affect the interests of the powerful, ultimately the concessions will be made. And like you know, not of course not to undermine the great striving to over you know centuries of gay rights activists and the achievement of same-sex marriage uh, i would say that possibly the calculations that are made it this doesn't affect us actually we can carry on doing what we're doing now like as a symbol it's incredibly powerful and as a sort of in a sense a metaphor for the possibility of progress and the successful dissemination of of uh, ideas that we you know you and i would both you know and most people would think oh yeah that's right that's a good thing that that's happened that people don't feel that they don't have access to but like yeah, the, the other question I would sort of like pose or the other point I would raise is, is that the, that the right that's being aspired to is a pre-established right. The heterogeneous dominant culture has established as a norm. You could say marriage is a ceremony that exists yeah. everywhere in the world and everyone should have the right to it. But like it's whose ideals are we aspiring to? Like so, so, so my two points are: one, of course, like like uh, gay marriage is like uh, important for people that are gay, and, and that no one would uh, would question the, the the right for that. But my concern is that the reason that these rights are afforded is one because like uh, sort of there's a, an economic connotation to the inclusion of gay people in, in, in as a class, shall we say, in the dominant culture. Like it's no particularly once we're nominating new external enemies in islam where that, that that their exclusion of gay people is now that's a good point a good counterpoint of tension suddenly you're hearing people you know like going hey they're not pro-gay rights these muslim countries that you think you didn't care about gay rights 10 minutes ago or feminism and all of these other things because the new nominated enemy so I would say that the progress like and this is I suppose me mishandling and misunderstanding possibly Foucault but saying that the way these narratives are established is to support an idea of progressivism that continues to operate as a veil for the machinations of the powerful rather than ever being a real like Foucault memorably makes this point around like you know we don't kill our we don't execute people in public anymore not because we're less barbaric but because we learned it didn't work you know like so like right so like that's in a sense you know not to say that an idea could be but but what you know I'm interested in is what about an idea that is challenging to the interests of the powerful rather than the prejudices of the uneducated
1: I I think um you know, I, I did a print that said um, enjoy small privileges, ignore large transgressions and the enjoy small privileges is really large and the ignore <laughs> large transgressions is really small. Um, cool. But and it's done in, like Carol. A, a subway advertising sign um, that, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the work I try to do and a lot of the work of people I admire, including you, is meant to um, not follow the normal uh, narrative of what, you know, what, what's what's entertaining, what's uh, what's expected, but to, you know, uh, pull the curtain back and, and say, have we really looked over here enough? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Yeah. And it, I think it's a matter of this, the same thing of, of trying to make that uh, that process feel pleasurable rather than painful of discovering things that you hadn't considered that might actually, once you're aware of them, help you be empowered in your own life. This is... This is difficult though because a lot of people really are dealing with stresses all the time and whatever you want to call it, the rat race. They would much prefer to tune out and escape Mm. than to consider um, to you know have to um, you know metaphorically eat their vegetables on how they're going to be a better civic participant. Um, But then they uh, you know I I try to I try to find ways to do that and. the you know when norms are established, what what I'm a, a, afraid of right now is that the norm of being very lazy, not reading anything that's more than 140 characters, um, you know, accepting the sound bites from the you know cable cable news, which I'm you know I watch some cable news myself, but I'm 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 very aware that the structure of it is. Dictated by capitalism, that this has got to get good ratings, and it's it's going to put what's juicy ahead of what actually might be meaningful to you and to live your life in a uh, in a more educated way that that that's um, beneficial, and uh, you know, but getting people getting back to uh, a higher standard or achieving a higher standard that's maybe even never existed. I think is really important because a lot of these um, layers of oppression were maintained for years by uh, class structures, racism, um, geographic locale. And when you look at a lot of the nationalism that you brought up at the beginning of the conversation, I think that, um, you know, that there's there's a problem when your nation has been benefiting from cheap labor and outsourcing and it loves globalization on one front, but it despises the idea that people could move from one part of the world to another for, to try to find a better life based on their understanding of globalization. So I was like, wait, wait, no, globalization is not for you. It's only for us. It's it's uh we live on the profits of crime and your and you remain the victim over there and that's and that's how this works um i'm not comfortable with that and i think a lot of people wouldn't be comfortable with that if they really understood that that's exactly what's going on so yeah there's a lot I agree. Educa- education but it's hard to make people um hungry for knowledge when they feel like they're being lectured or they, or they feel like it's extra work. to Yeah. And they're absolutely bloody knackered. And it's very, it's, as you say, there's some complexity to
0: it. It's very difficult for us to see where our real alliances could be forged, that we've more in common with the, like that they're sort of the caravan is only is us a couple of notches down and the people that are teaching us to hate them. Exactly.
1: I, I was on the, you know, the, the Mayflower caravan myself. Uh, my, my, <laughs> my family, I mean, you know, as, as you should if, never have left, it as, was a big as, mistake. If you, you know, if you don't know your heritage back to the battle of Hastings, you aren't shit. Um, <laughs> I, uh, were you a conqueror or a conqueree? Um, I I know that I'm just still a barbarian now. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it, I do. That's one of the greatest things that Dalai Lama has to say is that We have so much in common but we just spend all our time talking about the differences instead of the commonalities and traveling has really opened my eyes to that that they're great they're they're beautiful amazing people everywhere in the world and then they're people that bump into you and don't apologize everywhere in the world and yeah. then bloody Danes blaming you for a punk house that you've done nothing but support. But, but they're so tall and beautiful while they, they do it. Just punch me more. Just stay close. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll take the beating. Just yeah. let me look at you. That's lovely.
0: Hey, should we talk about being parents, fathers to daughters for a while? Sure.
1: Yeah, whatever you want to talk about.
0: It's pretty intense, isn't it, being father to daughters? Are you gonna like, was it like this bit where? How old are yours now? Maddie's fourteen, and no, sorry, Viv's fourteen, and Maddie's what like
1: eleven. Is that
0: yeah. easier than when they were little? Uh,
1: like it's, it's, different, it's different. It's definitely different. Um, I mean, when kids are little, you I think you realize one how much you owe to your own parents. Um, that I, I mean, nothing. I, that, that that was something that I I thought I was um I felt very regretful that I didn't appreciate what my parents did for me um but when they you know when the kids are young and you're you know you're sort of trying to negotiate with a terrorist who you know is not being rational um I you know that, that's that has its frustrations but also that you know that you that you care about the these people little people and would you know uh want to make sh- do anything to make sure that they're that they're okay the um you know that this sort of um paternal um instinct kicked in for me and i know it um you know people frequently talk about maternal instinct and i know that my wife is amanda is an amazing mother and re- just really fell into um the role of being a great mother uh, uh beautifully and it's never effortlessly. I would never say effortlessly. It always requires a lot of effort, but she but it was like I'm not afraid to go into battle every day and fight for being the best possible family we can be. I mean, it's like uh it's really makes me very emotional actually. But seeing that from her, but dealing with the girls is um I never was condescending to them. I always tried to explain any complex issue that they had a question about, and I found that they were good thinkers from a young age, and um, and that's the best I can do.
0: I role modelled that actually. I remember, like, I was hanging out with you when I was still living my lunatic in a <laughs> scarf with some <laughs> eyeliner on, life, and um, I felt like oh, I like the way they communicate. You know, I wasn't, I suppose, aware that I was observing it, but that is similarly how I try to talk to my girls is like you know mabel asks questions already that require that you unravel the like eg why do you have i'm going to work why Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got this system. Yeah. <laughs> we are, I'm participating in it. Oh man, <laughs> she like it so. Like, um, like what's the other thing? Like I had to. I, like, we had some acupuncture. I tried to explain, like, uh, like use uh, energy systems, electricity. I mean, like the. To, to like and also you have to be aware of like well some of this stuff god this might not be true like all of this might not be true I'm a, I'm making I've made a
1: mess of this <laughs>
0: you know like it makes me be so much uh, more conscious
1: well I uh I really enjoy watching you as a parent I think you're really a, you're a great parent I'm yeah, you were always um so good with uh, Vivian and Madeline um in fact I was quite jealous that Vivian laughed so much playing with you um I mean, I know that it's it's in the sweet spot of your expertise, but yeah. Um, yeah, I try to yeah. bias it
0: towards but that. But yeah,
1: I mean, and and, and that um, a child is so open to what you have to say and who you are when they're experiencing joy, that was a lesson I took from that. It's a, That's a very important lesson. And when I'm explaining things to Vivian and Madeline, if they seem apprehensive or don't agree, I... I try not to be didactic, I try to say, um, well, this is what I think about the concept of heaven. Uh-huh. I think it's a way that people make themselves feel better about the unknown, and it's a sweet idea, but I don't know, and in fact doubt, if it really exists. But you know what, You, a lot of people think differently than I do, and you should, you should think about, about it and decide whether it's something you believe in literally or whether it's something you believe in symbolically and um and then that and and you know I I respect your opinion about that and uh and uh you know Vivian has become someone who is really great at debating things because she is always questioning things. i and going debate and, her when she gets here. Yeah, and and uh and you know I think that that was instilled from a young age, and um I've I've always shared. My opinions and my justification for my opinions my rationale but have said that you're your own person um you should try to if if you don't think that sounds right you should figure out an alternative that you can stand behind
0: yeah that's a good way of doing it like like when you were um you and your family were at uh, me and laura's wedding I like there was you know even though I've known Vivian a long while, or, like I remember talking to her before the wedding, and like there was a moment where I thought like oh, my God, I'm going to drop all pretense that I'm operating on a higher level <laughs> than, like than her, like if like you know like if you're talking to a teenager, you're like yeah, and so what are you gonna and what do you think about that? And it's like like sort quite quickly, she, it was revealed like she's much more connected than I am, much smarter. <laughs> Just like, like in the end, I was asking for a, advice. What should I do? Like it went from like the, the doing my voice to kids to doing my voice to gurus and sages just
1: plain requests for guidance well vivian is um she's a bright girl but um i mean you're almost in your own category so that's that's cool that you're you're being modest but <laughs> um but one of the things that i have to convey to her on a, on a regular basis and it's a lesson i've had to teach myself too is that um you you don't use your intelligence to lawyer something dishonest into being something you can, you you can argue that you, you know, is justifiable. You have to be honest and you have to use your intelligence for good. Um, Van Jones put it, put it well. He said, I'd rather um, my dad, he said, his dad told him you're going to Harvard. I want you to be one of those smart guys that, takes complex problems and simplifies them for the benefit of all rather than takes simple problems and makes them more complex for your own benefit
0: that's brilliant i'm very aware when i see that happening people that's the the constant danger of consulting with professionals is like i think you're making this seem more (laughs) impactful so that your job's more important That's
1: good work from Van Jones. All right, mate. Well, we've been talking for uh, an hour and fifteen minutes now. Well, it's uh, I. I know I. I probably didn't talk about spirituality enough, but um, I didn't J- want to bother you with it. You're so. You're so
0: into uh, like you're a devout. Uh, I see you as uh Like I feel like if someone's got to be invested in the possibilities of democracy i would i'm happy that it's you and like you know me i've like i've decided on my path's been given to me but like you know you and i will have to remain in communication i wonder where we'll end up well
1: you know here's where i think maybe there is um overlap in you know however you define your spirituality and how i um define my belief in democracy is uh it it's um for me it's a belief in the common ground of human beings and the, that, that we're all, we're all connected in, um, sometimes with my wife, literally, but, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, this feeling that we need to look at, um, how, how we feel happiness as very much connected to. The happiness or suffering of everyone else—that's something that that I feel is uh, my connection to spirituality. And I, um, you know, I I, I I know that a lot of people frame the way they navigate the world, um, you know, with different verbiage, et cetera. But you know, I, I consider that a, a a spiritual outlook. Yeah,
0: in a sense, we've got no choice. Uh, if we care about one another, then it's sort of by default. Is spiritual i was thinking then of a passage in um moby dick where he talks about like uh there's a process by which i think they have to clean the boat or get some of the whale stuff up into the main boat out of the little boats and uh he said like you know that 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 man's life depends on you while you're holding that rope and they're hanging like if you let go and then he sort of then he says, Melville, we're all connected to one another. One business fouls another man's like, these ropes, they're between us. These thread, these ropes, they're between us in a pragmatic sense. And of course, my belief is in a subtler, less discernible way to... to sensitive and magical to be determined and detected by the limited instruments that we currently have access to on this frequency. But those are instruments that you have used so articulately and beautifully. Such a great creator of signs and symbols and the, the under, such great understanding of the grammar and language of our time. It's uh, wonderful to speak with you always. Yeah,
1: likewise. Um. Always good to hang, man.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode of Shepherd Fairy. Remember to let me know what you thought of it on Instagram. Tag me at Is It Still True Russell Brand? Or have we changed it to Russell Brand yet, do you reckon? Russell like? It'll be Russell Brand at some point. I can't wait for that because I've seen that true in front of it. It's so silly. It's Jenny's idea. Or tweet yes, it was. Or tweet me at Rusty Rockets with the hashtag under the skin. In the meantime, have a listen back to some previous episodes if you fancy. You could listen to Marianne Williamson when she was on. She's running to be a president of the United States at the moment. Uh, if you want, listen to me on Netflix. If you don't, like on, uh, you know, under the skin. No, it's Rebirth on Netflix. You could get that if you wanted. And uh, listen to my YouTube channel. Subscribe to it. Subscribe to stuff so I feel like I've got a lot of people that care about me and love me. You know I need that. Uh, Thank you for listening to Under the Skin from Luminary Media. Join us next week when we will be transcending space and time. It's going to be great.